Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where we podcast review movies. We do, we do those things, I suppose. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for Slash Film. I write for The Rap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I contribute to Slash Film. Uh, it's all Star Trek all the time over there these days. And and that's the and, way we uh, like it. And uh, as of this recording, uh, the brand new crossover episode between uh, Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds just aired. They dropped it by surprise. Ha ha! Gotcha! Or, or, ordinarily, new episodes come every Thursday. So Thursday, also on a Saturday. Yeah, just, just, to, just to keep you on your toes. Just for fun. Because we know during Barbenheimer weekend, you're not busy. Oh, well, I mean, once you've seen Barbenheimer, you want a third big event. Yeah, well, we might yeah. have another one available for you in movie form, but mm. uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing, get this, Barbenheimer. We're reviewing Greta Gerwig's Barbie and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. And did you know they released a third movie in theaters this week? That well, was a choice. Somebody's got it. You know what? Those f- bigger films may might be sold out. What else is playing? Well, uh, not in many theaters, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, a new horror film called Cobweb uh, is uh, is is out as well. Yeah, with Lizzie uh, Kaplan. With Lizzie Kaplan and that guy from that show. The star of The Boys. I forgot yeah. the name of the actor. Uh, Anthony yeah. Starr. Anthony Starr. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, let's get started with... Uh, the biggest release of the weekend. I wasn't surprised that this was the number one movie of the weekend, mm. but its enormous success is pretty overwhelming. Uh, Barbie, the doll, the toyland, the phenomenon, Dante, stop, uh, stop, uh, actually, wait, no, that was Luca. Luca? Those are the cats. Luca, stop knocking they're, over boxes. They're, they're Dante. Playing, uh, playing in cardboard boxes and being generally cute. Stop, stop, stop encouraging him. There are no cats in Barbie. There is a plastic dog. You're right, dog. that does suck. It's a plastic dog in Barbie. That's true. Uh, but yeah, Barbie, the doll, uh, uh, created about 60 years ago now. In 1959, the first version of the doll came out. And um, Bar- in, when the doll first came out, I'm not a Barbie scholar. I just know yeah. a little bit I've, about the history of Barbie. Yeah. Uh, but I know when Barbie came out, it was considered a bit of a novelty because uh, it was one of the first adult-shaped dolls Mm-hmm. Uh, on the market, as um, opposed for, to for dolls, kids. a lot of dolls were of uh, babies or, ba- or smaller kids. They, they were either yeah. of babies or of male soldiers. Uh, yeah. there, there weren't a lot of adult women dolls, and yeah. uh, Barbie dolls swept the the marketplace. People just everybody wanted the Barbie doll. They were heavily influenced by a pre-existing German doll called Bild Lily, mm. uh, which was actually inspired from a post-war German comic strip. Uh, about a sex worker. Yeah. Uh, and they made these novelty dolls. There was actually a movie uh, based on that character in the late 1950s that I desperately tried to track down before Barbie came out. But as yeah, near as I could I, tell... I did a little scouring as well, but there's nothing... Yeah. You can't find it online, and there's no, no home video release. As near as uh, I can tell, it's not readily available anywhere on home video, and I don't think it's ever been released in America or even had its dialogue mm. translated in subtitles. Yeah. So Look, uh, if, if one, I of, uh, one of my favorite books uh, has a supervillain in it who captures the hero, mm-hmm. ties them to a chair, and as a form of torture, forces him to watch German comedy films. Mm. 
Uh, so maybe you dodged a bullet with this one. Oh, Because that's my view of German comedy films that I, I got mean, from this you have, book. You haven't seen very many funny I've ones. seen a few German comedies, and they are pretty insufferable. Uh, I've seen okay. a couple from the 1960s, and they were kind of hard to get through. Well, yeah. Certainly not it's, funny. It's not, that's not a huge cross-sampling. Let's, let's, let's be No. Um, but anyway, so there was that. Uh, the dolls were wildly successful and have been ever since. No shortage of controversy. Uh, Barbies have been accused of uh, presenting uh, unrealistic body image. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have had various issues with racial representation over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have uh, had some controversial specific dolls made, some of which actually appear in the film, and I do appreciate the shout-outs. There's actually a shout-out to Growing Up Skipper, which was one of the stranger ones. Uh, Skipper, who is uh, Barbie's teenage friend, or, uh, I think sister or cousin? Uh, sister. I think sister. Yeah, Skipper. And, she has uh, a couple of sisters, actually, I think. But uh, growing up Skipper, you could uh, pump the arm of the doll and her bust would grow. Yes, because like, she's, she's growing she's, up. Like, you know, she's going, going through puberty. And um, that was considered, it's like the 70s that doll came out. Yeah. And that was way too controversial at the time. That was, a, that was an odd choice, that was. Yeah. Uh, there was also a doll, and they, they make fun of this in the movie as well, uh, where the Barbie actually was a video camera, and you could watch mm. the video you she took a, through a, her chest. A lens in like, like right in her throat, and yeah. there was a little screen on her back where you could play back the video. Yeah. So she was a Barbie, but also a camera. Because they got kids' letters, and they were like, I want Barbie to be a video camera, and mm. I wish to imagine myself as Barbie with a TV screen in my back like mm. a David Cronenberg film. Cronenberg Barbie, why not? Cronenberg Barbie. <laughs> That's the next thing. (laughs) It's a good thing this one didn't open the same day as Crimes of the Future. Um, But uh, in any case, enormously popular, enormously influential. Mm. uh, Had a variety of uh, media over the years. This is not the first Barbie movie, although it is the first one in theaters. There's a lot of straight-to-video Barbie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, in particular, me and my partner, uh, had heard really good things about this animated series called Barbie Life in the Dream House, which, uh, last I checked, was still on Netflix. And that was kind of like the Barbie takeoff of like the Hills, like okay. what if what if the Barbie was done sort of reality TV style? All right, enormously charming, like actually cleverly written, interesting characters. The first time I ever really liked Ken as an entity was from watching that show. N- not from the the Toy Story. Because Bar- Barbie and Ken showed up in Toy Story 2. He did, technically. Yeah, I, I, I know that in... Uh, Although I think Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse might actually predate or come out around the exact same time as Toy Story 3, which is where oh, they okay. started doing Ken. Because uh, that was around 2010, 2011, I, right? I know that they wanted um, Barbie and Ken in the first Toy Story, but they couldn't get the license from Mattel. Right. Uh, Pixar wasn't an enti- like a well-known entity yet. Woody's uh, girlfriend was not going to be Bo Peep. It was going to be Barbie. Yeah. was the original pitch. And uh, yeah, they had to, they had to switch that out. Um, So yeah, Barbie's been in a lot of media. It's never been, never been adapted to live action before. There've been multiple attempts over the years. Diablo Cody was going to write one for a while. Amy Schumer was going to do one for a while. I don't think that was the same project, but it might've overlapped. Um, And uh, here we are. Greta Gerwig. Uh, Oscar-nominated writer-director of such films as Lady Bird and Little Women. Uh, Lady Bird is considered a modern classic. I'm an even bigger fan of Little Women, which I consider to be one of the best films of the 2010s. 
I certainly and, consider uh, it the best Little Women, which is actually a very, very, very competitive field. Yeah, well, I, I know you're, been, you're fond of all of the Little Women movies. Well, so. most, but like, there's at least two or three bona fide, <laughs> almost perfect yeah. Little Women adaptations um, before Greta Gerwig got mm. to it, and she found a way to improve it. Yeah, uh, Greta Gerwig. Uh, we, we've also now seen a trend emerge. Mm. Uh, there's going to be a speech in uh, at least there's in the three mm. Greta Gerwig films to date. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a speech about two thirds of the way through the movie about how difficult it is to be a woman in the modern time. Uh, um, the difference is that so, the modern time is very very different. It's it's been different yeah. for each one. Yeah. Uh, one was set. Uh, one's like semi autobiographical. Yeah, it takes it's place like Gerwig's ten years life, ago. Yeah. Uh, Little Women is set in uh, early 20th century, I believe. And, it's um, around the Civil War. Oh, civil, you're right, yeah, Civil, civil war. war. Um yeah. And yeah, and this one's set in, in the present day, but also kind of a fantasy world. Uh, and in in this one, it's America Ferreira, mm-hmm. the human character who gets to give the speech. And boy, and, uh, did the, the, you could it, hear a pin drop in the audience. It, it, it were pl- stoked, yeah. and then there were cheers. It, it plays was, pretty well. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the Barbie movie is the Adam and Eve story. Uh, it's it's a sort of a spiritual treatise for Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Um, it takes place in Eden. In her version, it's Barbie Land. Uh, in Barbie Land, everything is ideal. Everything is perfect. It's paradise. Yeah. Uh, every character mm. is either... Bar- the majority of them are Barbies, even mm. if they're different people. Uh, some are Barbie's sort of ancillary like characters. and Skippers. Midge, yeah. Skipper, Alan. There's, you know, there's only one Alan, but there's a few of those. Uh Every guy except Alan is Ken. This is not 100% true to the toys, but let's, okay. no one remembers Todd. <laughs> someone posted well, a there thing. Well, actually a whole, there's a whole retinue of Barbie characters, That's and true. I think you'll see them in a lot of the Barbie animated films, the straight-to-video yeah. stuff. Uh, th- this is, Greta Gerwig's version of things is everyone is Barbie, and in fact, that is in keeping with the Mattel brand. Yeah. Um, Barbie, for the longest time, was the blonde white woman. And yeah. if they wanted to sort of diversify the cast of Barbies, they introduced new ancillary characters. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until they said all of those ancillary characters are actually all Barbie now. They're all named yeah. Barbie. Uh, that uh, sort of diversity entered the central Barbie yeah. canon. But they also had this thing. And for, for me, when I saw Barbie uh, in the in the stores, mm. uh, and it was every variation of... Some variations of Barbie were simply fashion or seasonal like yeah. it's it's you know summer fun barbie mm. or you know winter wonderland barbie something like that but every time she had a new job mm. uh, dr barbie president barbie all these different um i assumed that was the same barbie and she had like every job in the world like buckaroo bonsai <laughs> okay. and that was always my thing yeah. i always thought she must be the busiest person in the world oh she worked all these jobs simultaneously yeah and i thought like the world literally like depended on barbie because Mm. she was literally doing and that's not that's also a joke they make in barbie life in the dream house uh where every time the crisis happens and they need someone she'll put on a different hat well it's like well no we need someone we we need a doctor wait i'm a doctor (laughs) (laughs) costume change appendectomy there yeah um so here every single one of those is a different barbie they're played by a variety of different actors uh the main Barbie, the protagonist of the film, which Stere- is named, stereotypical Barbie, literally is, is, named yeah. stereotypical Barbie, is the er example of what you think of when you think of Barbie. Is played by Margot Robbie, uh, and who, who produced the movie? She did. 
we were introduced to her. We're introduced to Ken, the main Ken, played by Ryan Gosling. There's also Ken's played by like Simu Liu and uh, uh, Shudi Gatwa. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the Simu Liu Ken is the one that has a rivalry with the Ryan Gosling Ken. Yeah, they um, hate each other's guts. And uh, it, it's said uh, pretty early on. And there's a narrator, and Helen Mirren plays the narrator. Yeah. So she movie could have done without it, but you know it was I, all pretty clear. I think there's a few moments in the movie where the narrator really helped get away mm-hmm. with a few storyline story beats that probably couldn't have otherwise but uh barbie is everything barbie is every member of the supreme court barbie is president Issa ray plays president barbie uh and ken only exists because to be admired by barbie so unless he's getting attention from barbie he doesn't exist but at the same time this is like a children's plastic wonderland, and the production design in this movie is fantastic. Absolutely uh, impeccable. Greta Gerwig really tried to make uh, life-size versions of the toys, and all of that really horrendously garish pink yeah. that hurt your eyeballs when you were a child and still hurts today. Everyone loves uh, one of those life-size versions of yeah, the dream house, which is just and, yeah, the, the weather is never in- inclement, so you know nobody has walls or windows. Uh, and, and it's actually stated rather explicitly, nobody has genitals in this universe. Yeah. It's Eden. It's pre prior tree of knowledge, mm-hmm. Eden. Uh, and, uh, Ken like is a little bit hurt. Mm-hmm. That he's never getting attention from Barbie because it's always girls' night and they're always having slumber parties. And he knows and, he uh, wants romance, but he literally doesn't know what form that would take. Yeah, he's like, can we can we stay the night? We're boyfriend girlfriend, and and what and you know Barbie because they're all very innocent. Well, what would we even do? He's like, you know what? I don't even know. Like, that, <laughs> sex is not part of their universe. Yeah. Uh, and uh, while having a great big uh, party one evening at the Barbie mansion. Uh, Barbie just sort of yells out, "Hey, does anybody ever think about dying?" And the music, and the music stops, stops, and everybody kind of scratch. stares at her, and uh, no, nobody knows what that is. So mm-hmm. clearly, Barbie is having some sort of crisis. Yeah, this existentialist crisis. Uh, she wakes up the next morning. Uh, the the fake food that she fake eats is mm. fake cooked badly. Uh, her, her her fake shower with no water is now cold. Yep, she uh, her feet, which in Barbie dolls. Uh, were were almost exclusively for. I, I, I don't they were think mold, they still molded are. to look like high heeled shoes, and I yes. think that might still be the case. So like their feet were were not flat; like they couldn't walk on them normally. They had to be wearing high heels in order to make them look like they're walking. All of a sudden, her feet are flat, and there's this cute bit where she shows she's horrified; she doesn't know what's happening to her. She shows her other Barbie friends, and they're so horrified they that they start vomit. vomiting, yeah. <laughs> but they've never eaten anything, so they just. Kind look of, like they're vomiting. They fake vomit, yeah. It's they get dry great. heaves. And they're told uh, they have... It's like Jeff Bridges and The Giver. There's like one person in Barbie yeah, Land who, who actually has, knows has what's the what. the knowledge. And, and uh, yeah, there's... Weird Barbie there's played weird by Kate Barbie, McKinnon. Weird Barbie. And uh, I love this detail. Um, weird Barbie is the Barbie that... Uh, and anybody who's played with a Barbie kind of knows a lot of these trappings. Uh, you're going to take a scissors... To, to the Barbie's hair at some point. You're going to mess you're gonna, up the yeah, hair. You're going to draw on, on Barbie's face with a gonna marker. You're going to pull an arm off or something. It's, a, it's the toy that's been played with and too the, much or, or not not with any care. And, and Barbie, and, you know, yeah. Barbie's, you know, is a doll. So, the, you know, the legs come off and the legs go into splits. So Kate McKinnon plays weird Barbie with all these markings on her face and wild hair. Yeah. And she's always doing the splits because that's yeah. that's the way her legs fall now. And she informs Barbie that the, only, that the, the problem is that there's something wrong with whoever in the real world world is playing with her so the the light is shed this is now yeah. a fa- fantasy world of somebody like projecting their consciousness into 
into Eden. So, is it God? And the uh, uh, we'll find out. Mm. And the only way to re- repair everything is to find that real person, find out what's making them unhappy, make them happy again, so you can come back to Barbie mm. Land and live this idyllic fantasy life. Uh, so she goes, Ken tags along, mm. uh, and they find themselves in Venice Beach. Not not Malibu, which is a little upsetting. That's but, uh... a little upsetting. <laughs> Malibu Beach is a very different vibe than Venice Beach. Oh, though, yes. Uh, if but... you've ever been. <laughs> They they get the vibe of Venice Beach right, uh, and they go to uh, you know, and instantly, and this is like sort of fish out of water stuff. And yeah. this is where you made this comparison actually. This is where I started to get the vibes that this is like the Brady Bunch movie from nineteen ninety five. Yeah, uh, the conceit of that movie was the Brady Bunch, the characters from the seventies sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, still lived in the same seventies house, dressed in the same seventies clothes, and behaved in the exact same way that they did on the sitcom. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the world, it's nineteen ninety five. Yeah. So they exit their their home. And have to interact with a modern world that doesn't know what to make of them. And they're kind of like placidly oblivious as to the, the passage yeah. of time. Except in the Brady Bunch, they remain placidly oblivious. Mm. And in Barbie, two things happen. Barbie begins to have a major existential crisis because mm. she finds out that in the quote-unquote real world, women don't run everything. Barbies haven't solved all the world's problems. Uh, and frankly, there is a... You, you well, can just also, feel it in the air, just a general animosity towards women that all yeah, of a sudden she feels and, really self-conscious and frightened all the time. And But she is also aware of her place in this universe as a toy. Yes. So, but she's also, you know, like, she's the example of the toy. She's the living Barbie. And she's shocked to learn that people don't, not everybody likes Barbie dolls in this universe. Yeah. Uh, the Mattel Corporation gets involved. They go to Mattel, which is in Century City. It's actually in El Segundo. They could have just gone over there. It's really... The Mattel I, is in is nearby. I, I'm going to um, let that slide. I don't care. <laughs> I, I, well, I, I care just because I'm a local. Uh, there's, yeah. in fact, uh, some pretty funny lines that say, oh, everything's better in Century City, and you and I were watching the screening at a theater in Century City. And everyone so laughed. Everyone's kind of tittering in that theater. Century City um, is is like a glorified business park. It's, like, it's, a, nobody it's a mall lives with there. a few office buildings in yeah. it. Yeah. It's it's they they shot uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes there because yeah. it looks kind of futuristic. When, when at they the first time. built it, it looked really futuristic. It's, it's also in the where uh, it's also where the building from Die Hard is, Nakatomi Plaza, and that's still there. That's you can still go there. still you visit can... Nakatomi Plaza. Um, yeah, there used to be a theater there called the Schubert. Yep, it's, it's since been Great torn theater. down, yeah. but. Uh, the only thing they ever played was goddamn fucking cats. Uh, it was just nothing but cats for like thirty years. It's like I don't, I don't, so I never went there because I want to see cats. Um, it's also really great, like a, a wonderful movie theater in Century City that, yeah. that is no longer there. But yeah, they have a they have a AMC multiplex in the Century City Mall mm-hmm. where they hold a lot. I'd say about like fifty percent of the press screenings. The, in, um, LA. Um, in this neighborhood, yeah, give LA, or take, yeah. they're they're mostly at that AMC movie theater, so it was pretty funny. Um, so uh, the well, the higher ups at Mattel, so, the higher, hold, hold on a second. Yeah. Um, while she's sort of having her existential crisis, and she meets old people for the first time because mm-hmm. there's not eighty year old Barbie. Yeah, they're they're all sort of and and to be and to the yeah, movie's I credit, and apparently they 30. fought for this scene. Uh-huh. She thinks she's beautiful. Yeah. It's not like, oh, old. I'm pretty bar- no, none just, it's of something those... she's never seen before. There's an old none woman of those and she's shitty never jokes. Seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Um there's a, a parallel universe where they decided to go for the shitty jokes route. Oh, and then they didn't do that. Uh 
Ken, however, also tastes of the forbidden fruit, yeah. and he learns of something that doesn't exist in Barbie Land, and that is the patriarchy. Yeah, uh, he goes into a gym in Century City and sees uh, this, and there's this wonderful montage of <laughs> horses running and sweaty men working out, and yeah. guys smoking cigars, and images of war, and he is fascinated by this, and he uh, gathers up a bunch of books, uh-huh. and he hightails it back to Barbie Land. Uh, one of my favorite weird bits yeah. in the movie, and it's it's this. A woman walks up to him and basically asks him something banal, like what the time is. Uh-huh. And he's like, you want me you're to tell you what the time is? You're paying attention to me. You, yeah. you respect me enough to think I would know what the time was? <laughs> uh, so his whole worldview has changed. That will be important later. Uh, Barbie is tracked down by Mattel. We soon find out who really was responsible uh, for existential crisis Barbie's sudden mm-hmm. existence. Uh, and but uh, America Ferreira and her daughter are now looped into yeah. Barbie's life. And uh, and then the second half of the movie is, and I don't want to go into because this movie goes in so many wild directions. Uh, this is uh, we usually don't spend this much time on the plot. There's mm-hmm. so much going on in the movie. Um, the second half of the movie has a lot to do with what Ken did with the forbidden knowledge of the patriarchy. Yeah. And it is hilarious. It is pointed. It Mm. is honestly one of the most thoughtful movies about masculinity, Mm. maleness, what it means to be a man, uh, in a way that is entirely critical yeah, when, it, that's, when necessary, but also understanding of the insecurity and sensitivity that leads to toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I got to tell you something, watching people freak out about this movie, like hating men, I'm using air quotes, is oh, hilarious I, because I this think, movie uh, cares very deeply about everybody. Men, and it under, uh, but it also understands when something that is happening is wrong and needs to change. Um, that's beautiful. It's so well crafted. The people who are criticizing this movie for hating men are assholes, yes. uh, who you can probably uh, pretty safely not, not not uh, yeah not take yeah. take uh, their their opinions very seriously. It's not they're not worth yeah. listening to because they're all just like they're coming at it with a preconceived pun, notion yeah, of what pundits and jerkwads. I've um, heard someone complain that this movie made fun of Stanley Kubrick. If you've never seen a Stanley Kubrick homage in a movie before, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it there's a really wonderful line of dialogue where it uh, really, really severely mocks Justice League, oh, and uh, and it, also it mocks the fervor behind the it. fervor behind yeah. it, and also Merc, uh, really mocks um, a certain kind of dude uh-huh. who loves to mansplain the godfather yeah the movie uh, like people are like oh they're being mean to snyder bros they're being mean to film bros yeah in general which and they equate fair target they uh, equate the in this universe the it's not about the movie it's about the attitude the mm. attitude about the some men have about the godfather mm. the attitude some men have about the snyder yeah, cut the, it's it's also pretty, a, it's it's fair criticism if you're that guy if you're not that guy good it's a, it's a good thing. There's also a, a particular Matchbox 20 song that really takes it on the chin. <laughs> that's, a um, that's a whole brilliant bit. Yeah. This, uh, but, this, uh, this movie, I'm just uh, going to, we need to get to the actual critique part of it. Mm. This movie is absolutely wonderful and brilliant. Mm. It is an actually a, intelligent, finely crafted comedy. It never feels like they found jokes. They crafted the jokes. They set yeah. up the jokes. They planned the jokes. They made sure that the jokes came from a place of intelligence and emotionally grounding uh, uh, the characters and actually having something to say. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, it's 
incredible. I love I, this movie. I really admire that. Um, first of all, I admire the biblical allegory. I like that this is a spiritual sure. story. Um, and I also admire that Greta Gerwig uh, really tried to take Barbie to task, mm. um, celebrating a lot of the nostalgia about Barbie, all of the products about Barbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that would have made it a commercial otherwise, and you know it is a commercial. There's it even, is. There's there, no pretending there's, otherwise. There's a, a semi-satirical, but it's also just a commercial scene where uh, some outfits are being thrown through the air, and they freeze frame on each outfit and mm. just, you know tell you what they are. And part of it's like, oh, I remember having that, and part of it is, oh, there's a product you can buy. All, yeah. all of the vehicles that Barbie has seen in is based on a toy. Um, we, we can't pretend that a, Barbie is. Here's the thing: Barbie isn't a particularly effective critique of capitalism because it is. It's no. an agent well, of capitalism. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Uh, it's it's kind of difficult to have your cake and eat it too with Barbie because uh, Barbie is a, a it's an an object, an object of a woman, objectifying a woman, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's sprung from this really gross time in American capitalist history mm-hmm. where uh, we can just sort of sell these plastic hunks to children mm-hmm. and, and that, that, that's not exclusive view. to Barbie. And, uh, that's GI Joes, that's oh, He-Man, that's Transformers. It's th- all there was it. there was a moment when I thought uh, a GI Joe could have made a cameo in this movie, but I know that's not a Mattel product. No, so. that's Hasbro. Uh, yeah. Hasbro is which is slowly mm-hmm. sucking up all the toy IP it possibly well, can. They have uh, My Little Pony, and they have The Transformers, which just had a movie mm-hmm. this year. And they have G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, which cameoed in the Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is... Oh, what's oh, the other oh, one? I Mo- can... Movie IP that, uh, that oh, Hasbro uh, has. The Gem. Um, Gem and the Holograms. All right, Gem and the Holograms. Because Gem is not... Gem is... A lot of people equate Gem with Barbie because it was kind of a rival Barbie product, but... From what I understand, that was the intent behind Gem and the Holograms. Yeah, it was going to be like, a competitor to Barbie. Yeah, and then Barbie um, know, got wind of it early and released a competitive product called Barbie and the Rockers, which we did yeah. a pants cancel too soon episode. Um, I know those Bratz toys were bought out by Mattel because they didn't want to have a rival. They were getting too, mm. too successful. Um, and Bratz also had a movie. I didn't see the Bratz movie. Yeah. Um, and Bratz were also, like Barbie, like fashionistas. They were very uh, shopping obsessed. Uh, um, they also own Magic the Gathering. Uh, they mm-hmm. own Dungeons and Dragons. Apparently, oh, that, they, they own, had a movie they they own yeah. Nerf. They own Play-Doh. They know. They own kind of childhood. It's kind of messed I, uh, up. Um, it, it is kind of a and, well, and unfortunately, that's something that this film doesn't really interrogate is the corporate aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the CEO of Mattel is a character, but he's actually really extraneous to the story. You could have caught out a lot of the Mattel stuff. Yeah. And not really adversely affected the central themes of the movie. No, no. Um, yeah, think, and in fact, that, that if, I if I do have a complaint about the Barbie movie, it's that there's a little too much of it. It is two hours long. It's a lot. It feels a little bit ungainly at times. Like, uh, mm. the, the it starts to lose focus on its themes. It goes over here and then it refocuses back on the themes. It, it, it's not really tight and straightforward the way something like Little Women was, which was... Well, I mean, that was a ra- steel fucking trap. I know Louisa Malakot wrote, classic novel. You've wrote gotta, it, but, but Greta Gerwig reworked it and changed true. the ending and changed the chronology, and, but and here it still they're coming fits up with, together but here, really strongly. But here they're coming up with the narrative, yeah. kind of out of the whole cloth. And you can see where the pieces mm. are coming from. You mentioned yeah. the Adam and Eve story. I sensed... Uh, uh, I mean, there's a, the whole aesthetic is something like Umbrellas of Cherbourg and American in Paris. Um, I sensed a small amount of um, Purple Rose of Cairo in here as well. Uh, I haven't seen that one, but yeah. yeah uh, um, the, I look at the enormity 
of Barbie from the <laughs> surprisingly large amount of plot <laughs> to the large cast of characters, many of whom are fully fleshed out, even yeah. if they're plastic, um, to it's, it's excitement to do everything. Mm. It's going to get everything you could possibly do in a Barbie movie. Like, that's the plan. I'd rather have that. Mm. I think that is, you know, you could argue maybe it's a little messy sometimes. Maybe it could have been more tightly crafted. Mm. But to have such an abundance of not just ideas, but entertaining ways to explore them. Yeah. That you can look at this movie. And again, I think, you know, it it tries to do a lot of things. And Mm. some things I think it does better than others. But you can look at this movie from so many different angles in terms of what it is about what it is exploring because it's not exploring so much barbie the entity so much as barbie the concept what does it mean what does it mean to different people what does it mean to a company what does it mean to a child decades ago what does it mean to that person now what does it mean to kids now who might have a very different viewpoint about these kinds of toys um and then if the toys were real what would they think and then we actually have a really complicated narrative in which Barbie basically becomes like sentient yeah. and actually like has to like decide how she wants to live. Yeah. And Ken does too in a very different way. Uh, and and in the case of Ken, he also has to learn who is Ken outside of a codependent relationship and outside of performative masculinity. Mm. And that is a complicated issue that the movie I think addresses in a complicated way, but also with a fun musical number. <laughs> like it's, it's, it, it, uh. it, it could have gone real dark and it, it didn't. And mm-hmm. instead it went kind of metaphorical with its violence, Thank which, God. which I'm, I'm fine with. Yeah. Uh, the film is rated PG-13, which is unusual for a film based on Barbie. Cause you know, mm-hmm. little kids play with, Barbie, you know, three, four year olds play with Barbies. Yeah. Um, I've also heard, and I, I, I kind of saw it uh, from some friends of mine who were uh, some co-workers of mine mm-hmm. who, who were a little bit frustrated with the the tone of the film's feminism mm-hmm. it's kind of a broad cross-generalized uh, cross-generational version of feminism mm-hmm. and uh, in a lot of ways feels a little dated it feels like something that might have been written in the 90s mm-hmm. rather than kind of addressing something that's a little bit more up to date uh it also uh, has frustrated a few uh, non-binary friends of mine because mm. this is very much about the gender binary. Mm-hmm. It's about masculine versus feminine, and there's no middle ground in there. I, uh, I don't quite... No, there's... there's. S- I think there's, I think there's, there's gray least, areas there. There's at least one uh, trans actress playing a Barbie. That's true. I would also argue she, that there is... you know, kind of a side character, but she's in there. I, I would argue uh, that there is... First off, regarding the film's more sort of arguably retrograde mm. feminism, that's probably pretty fair. However, one could make the argument that there is a large, very large... Uh, uh, th- thankfully, not majority, but a very large group of people... Uh, who are very desperate to take us back that far mm-hmm. to where we actually need to react to these specific expectations of performative gender, not just women, but men. Mm-hmm. That there needs to be, uh, you need to not just say what you are, yeah. but look exactly the way that a certain type of person thinks yeah. you you are, or I, uh, you're not that thing. Yeah. And I, I, I think, but that, I, 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 let me just finish my sorry, real thought. Sorry, sorry. 
I think that when you have a narrative that is explicitly about characters who don't actually have a gender and are explicitly performing it mm. based on naive notions of what that is. Yeah. And over the course of the film, realize that those don't have to be them. Mm. I think there's a more wiggle room to look at that positively. Yeah, it's it's presented yeah. positively. Yeah. It's just... You I know, think there's I, definitely good to be had it, here. I, I would have loved to see a movie that's made in 2023 to have a non-binary protagonist mm -hmm. go into Barbie Land, which is based in an, uh, this very stringent gender binary, mm -hmm. and present those new ideas to Barbie Land. That would uh, be cool. That, that would have been nice about how gender isn't as codified uh, you know, as, as it is in Barbie Land. And yet we uh, do have... Element, here's, here's an interesting element where we have Barbie and Ken in this mm -hmm. narrative. And Ken is in love with Barbie. Barbie isn't in love with Ken. None of the Barbies are in love with Ken. No. In fact... No, men are kind of extraneous in Barbie Land, which is kind of the point. Yeah, and you could read that uh, as uh, uh, a gay allegory. I think mm. Kate McKinnon's character kind of reads that way in a lot of ways. Oh, Not the oh, least of which because there's me. context with... Well, first of all, Kate McKinnon is is a queer woman. Yes, uh, Kate, Kate McKinnon played uh, Margot Robbie's lover in uh, mm -hmm. what was that Fox movie? Um, Bombshell. Bombshell. Yeah. And there's a scene where uh, she presents her with a choice: you have to stay in Barbie Land or go to the real world. And she presents it as a high heeled shoe or a fucking Birkenstock. Yeah. There's there's uh, there's, <laughs> there's there's imagery being used. Yeah. However, to Barbie. It is also kind of explicitly for her asexual, hmm. at least aromantic. She is not interested. And I think that's an element of queerness that the film is very directly doing. And granted, I'm saying this as an asexual person, but uh, I think that's something that the film is very directly confronting. And I don't think people are talking about that enough. But the, I think one of the problems with Barbie is that it's trying to do so much that whatever it cannot do sticks out. Mm. And instead, I'm mostly admiring how much it was actually able to pull off. Could it have done more? Mm. Sure, but it would have been like <laughs> another hour longer at mm. least. Like there's so much you'd have to cram in there. Yeah. And I'm amazed at how much it successfully did. Is it the end of the conversation mm. about... Uh, gender and and performative gender and gender identity and, and, and the awareness way, well, and, and spe feminism specifically no, of the way not. Uh, the way Barbie uh, this uh, mm. artifact left over from 1959 uh, how, how it relates to modern feminism mm. uh, is em empowering young girls uh, through a corporate product a positive or a negative thing mm. is it actually empowering young young girls if it's you know not providing them with actual knowledge of you know what mm -hmm. feminist thought is well uh, here we yeah. here we have barbie actually trying to explain that in a movie so yeah at least there's that I, I i appreciate everything greta gerwig has done here yeah. uh, and i really do like this movie i don't want to uh, give yeah. the the uh, the impression that i i don't like it or i'm really kind of sour mm -hmm. on it I, I think it's doing everything right i think it's do one more draft and then mm. yeah uh, this was written by gerwig and uh and, 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 and noah, noah bombach yeah. um who uh, they've written a couple movies together. They wrote uh, Mistress America. Mistress which America. He directed, they wrote, they wrote is... Francis Ha, which he also directed. Yeah. Um, this is the first one I think that they wrote together that she directed. I think um, her previous two movies she just wrote herself. I love Greta Gerwig. I love her uh, her sensibilities. Mm -hmm. I feel like in a lot of her other movies she was 
a little freer to be kind of messy about the human experience. Yeah. And this is because this is a big studio picture. Even when Barbie goes into the real world, it still feels a little bit clean, but it's, uh, but that, but that's kind and, of, the and they go, they go into the, like the Mattel offices and it's still a little bit of a fantasy universe. Yeah. Uh, in, a conceit that I really didn't understand is uh, we can cure all your problems. Barbie, the CEO of Mattel says, uh, but you just have to get back in the toy box and we have this life-size Barbie box, and when she gets in, uh, everything will be solved. And they never really explain how that's supposed to work. I got the impression that that was actually kind of sinister. Like, like well, there's they're, they're like filming a... it like it's sinister, yeah. like she's about to be executed. But yeah. I, 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 it was a little bit strange that, that, that this sort of fantasy conceit was introduced and I, it's, not, it's as though not she explained can be... even in its own fantasy terms. It's like it's like there's like that button combination in your computer that can return it to its factory default. Yeah, you know, and it's like. Mm. Again, the, well, here's the the thing with the Barbie movie is that the actual rules of the universe make about as much sense as the rules of the Cars universe, and that they, uh, yeah, they yeah. don't. There's a certain amount of emotional earnestness to it, mm. but the well, actual ins and like, outs of how it functions are yeah. like. Wait a minute. Every Barbie has, like, every version of Barbie has a version of that character in Barbie land. Who's a real person, but every version of Barbie has sold to thousands and not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So like, Oh, who's playing with stereotypical Barbie? Probably quite a few people. Yeah. So once you start thinking like that, the whole movie will collapse. And I think the movie is wise to make you think about more important things. Whereas, like, the Cars movies make you think about the Cars movies mm. and just the plot. Here, we're actually asking audiences and, and young people to think about existentialism, feminism, masculinity, femininity. Um, that really takes the, the edge off of that for me. Okay. So that the plot is a little wonky, I'm very willing to be okay with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, because ultimately, which, which fair, you know. So this is a this a, is a, a broadly entertaining comedy musical that absolutely like relishes in femininity in an on in a in a studio system that has believed that the default setting for blockbusters must be adolescent stereotypical boy audiences yeah. it must be action for oriented yeah, must that's... be uh, take all of its ideas and make yeah, them well, as easy to ignore as humanly possible yeah, and this is something um there there are gi joe movies based Multiple on the gi joe, joe movies, movies yeah. based on the hasbro animated toys, movie which, uh, and three live action ones yeah and, and they're not very good because uh Studios have all long assumed that only adolescent boys are going to go see these. The the adolescent boy toys are the ones that are getting the film treatment. It's rare mm -hmm. that you know My Little Pony doesn't have a, a theatrical release. It, it at least hasn't for a long time. It was an no. There was one in the eighties, and then there was an animated one that didn't get a lot of buzz. And frankly, wasn't very. Oh very wait, good. I, I think I saw that. One. It was CGI, right? No, it was just. Uh, uh... No, but no, yeah. there wasn't. Uh, but uh, we did have Jim and the Holograms. That was. A real train wreck of like a publicity thing. Like they did not know how to market that movie. Mm -hmm. They suggested the, the, the it movie's was, fine. I like that uh, movie, uh, the, but uh, it wasn't what people wanted because they couldn't afford to make what people wanted. I, I, and so I couldn't they did, tell what people want. Out of people Gemini wanted holograms. People but, wanted something that looked like the show. It's the reason why this Super Mario Brothers movie this year mm -hmm. was a huge hit, and the Bob Hoskins one is a cult hit. 
because people want the thing to look like the thing that they like. Well, they don't want it to. I well, get I don't it. care about those people. I, I want the interesting that. thing. I'm just talking about what's successful. And right. the Gem and the Holograms movie, even though it's a perfectly fun movie, it's got its problems, but it's very entertaining. Um, it wasn't the version of the character that people liked. Mm. And their plan was to do a low-budget sort of prequel so that if when that was a hit and it was so low-budget, surely we'll make our money back. Uh, then we'll have more money and then we can do that version. But then people were so mad that it wasn't that movie because they didn't advertise it like that, uh, that they didn't make enough money and then they shot themselves in the foot. It wasn't planned very well. Here they understand that this Barbie movie needs to have elements of Barbie in it. And well, my, the early Barbie Land stuff is kind of exactly the movie you think this might be. Hmm. And then it spirals into some very interesting directions well, while still uh, being Barbie. And I think that's very, well, very I, I well think, made. Uh, the, I, I did see some of the ads and they, they did uh, sort of sell the, the meta aspects of this. It wasn't going to take place entirely in no, Barbie but, but what I was going to say yeah. uh, was that um, there have been all of these to- movies based on, quote, boy toys. Yeah. Uh, that didn't for a second interrogate what those toys communicate to the consumers. What do they mean? Uh, like, these are we, these are consumer products, yeah. and the boys that consume them are being taught something by these products. Like, think about it. Transformers uh, has this huge audience. Mm-hmm. All those Transformers movies, what are they speaking to? Yeah. They're not talking about why you feel connected to these toys. Yeah. Well, they're and they're not saying they're not doing what the Barbie movie does, yeah. and that's sort of interrogating what the toys do. The Lego movie did that. Well, yes. What is a Lego? Because what do you do with Legos? You There's create. No, there, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's about building. It's about these various worlds, and it's about play, and it's about the people who play with it. And there's live action segments in that mm-hmm. movie. It's actually weirdly clever the way they tried to turn Legos into a movie. It feels almost uh, like a dry run for Barbie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, well, like a lot of the commentary is kind of shoveled off into the last act, hmm. whereas Barbie, it's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. You both have Will uh, Ferrell. Curious. I guess that's yeah. he's he's found a niche. Um, and the frustrating thing is that. We adapt Barbie into a movie. It's about the interrogation of Barbie's place in feminism. We turn the Transformers into a movie. It's not an interrogation of how boys are primed from a very young age to be fucking soldiers. These are war... Pardon? Primed. Hey, Optimus Prime. I get it. You did it by accident. I did it completely by accident. But they are. They're being prepared. They're being trained to be soldiers. Uh, A Mm -hmm. lot of the more popular boy toys, Transformers and G.I. Joe specifically are about fighting. They're about war. And that's a part of the Barbie movie as well. Um, It's galling to me because the reason they're, and here's what I suspect that the boy toy movies, and I'm I'm putting air quotes around all of this. uh, The reason we're not interrogating that is because it's assumed that being trained to be a soldier and consuming violent imagery is a natural part of the boy experience. Mm. It's a natural part of the male experience. It's not something that's worth interrogating because it's so intrinsically, deeply embedded in the mostly male executive world that's approving of these movies that they're not even thinking of that. Greta Gerwig is so much more thoughtful than that Mm -hmm. that she's going to take the Barbie doll and not just sort of say, we, isn't it fun? She's going to say, wait, there's a lot to this. Uh There's a lot to the history of this toy Mm -hmm. and there's a lot to the way it speaks to gender dynamics in the real world. Yes. The Transformers do that too. Uh Uh-huh. 
but, but nobody's just... talking about the Transformers in well, these, the... these, con- uh, these terms because the dudes who watch it are not interested and are, are so uh, blind to the politic of it yeah. that they're not even going to bring it up. Well, because the movie doesn't address the politic mm. of it. And this is the thing that, like, and some people have argued, you know, uh, why are you telling and not showing? Barbie very clearly does both. Mm. Um, but the telling, I think, is very important because clarity of thought this is a movie about uh, a a very naive childlike world being changed not through adventure or violence little adventure they go to a different place Mm but not through you know violence or defeating our enemies but by being exposed to new ideas and i feel like barbie is attempting to address to older audiences who either are there's a great tagline for this movie it's for people who love barbie and people who hate barbie mm. um but for older audiences who grew up with barbie to understand that the movie gets the passage of time and the way that we evolve and the way that we think and the way that our experience with a very troubling world affects us and affects the way that we look back at childhood things uh, however, it also understands that there are kids in the audience. Parents are bringing their kids to the audience. And it, it takes seriously the idea that you will grow up, you will have new things to think about, and they will be scary. They will be... Uh, uh, they will they will make you not want to go outside half the time. Like, life is hard and scary and full of really horrible things. Mm-hmm. And Barbie gives you not just a story about coping with and overcoming as much of that as possible, but also a means of talking about it. A lot of, like, the, the Transformers and G.I. Joe movies mm-hmm. show you how to play with those toys. Ah, shoot, yeah. shoot, 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 ah, blow well, up the thingy. And, what and they, they Barbie invented... tells you how to think about the toys. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's actually, and, and this is sort of a vital difference, and I, I think this is why a lot of people were coming at Barbie before its release as a little bit more corporate, yeah. whereas something like Transformers, the conversation was a little more muted. And it's because... I think we just assume the worst, so why even have the conversation a lot of the time? I, I suppose so, but I, I think it's because... Um, something like Transformers comes with a lot of the story already filled in for the kid. The yeah. characters are named. They have a relationships already. The, the setup of the world. Lines, yeah. There's yeah. storylines yeah. that are come with the toys. True. There isn't one for Barbie. Barbie Not is a consistent one. Anyway. Yeah. Barbie is, is, is a, a polymath. She can do anything. And uh, yeah. so there, there's not like Barbie and Ken is like the central relationship, but there's no like origin story of how they met. There's not like oh, a, there is a, actually. There's a t- oh well, I know the history of the toy. But yeah, the I history don't know. of the toy. I think they met while they were making a commercial or something. Is, is like that they were like both the actors official... or something? Oh, I okay. believe that's the case. I read uh, B.J. Colangelo wrote a really great uh, retrospective on the history of Barbie, right. and it's pretty thorough yeah, the, while still being a pretty you know concise excellent read it's on slash point film, is, uh, and i would recommend that if memory serves they brought that up yeah, the, the, those really uh, obnoxious phrases that are used with a lot of uh, modern fantasy ip yeah. uh things like world building and right. myth making those are uh, a really go hand in glove with something like the transformers so that's where the conversations go there's no myth making with barbie barbie is the myth herself yeah it's, uh, it's... so the, the movie when it comes time for greta gerwig to do mm-hmm. this has to delve into things other than pre-existing stories. There's actually yeah. 
by necessity has to be a lot more imagination. Yeah. And as such, the movie is really friggin' imaginative. True. I actually really like what she did with the material. Yeah. My criticisms are still in there, but I really enjoy this film. Yeah, and I can appreciate mm. the criticisms, and some of them I agree with more than others, but I think the good massively overshadows the negative. Oh, for sure. And this is, this is far and away one of my favorite films so far this year. I, oh, really, right. just, I yeah. really just adored it completely. And uh, it's one of the few films... Because you and I have to watch a lot of movies. And I know there are some critics, some film fans, uh, who when they love a movie, it's like, yeah, I, I saw Mission Impossible three times already. I'm like, really? That's like a three-hour movie. How do you find the time for that? How do you have the money for that? Yeah, well, like, we're, I don't, we're busy seeing new stuff. Yeah, we don't rewatch movies a lot so anymore. So it's really uncommon for me to go out of my way to see a movie more than once or even want to. I want to see Barbie again. Okay. That's a rare thing for me. Like, that's how much I enjoy this movie. I want to enjoy it another time in a theater. And that's not something I can say about pretty much any other movie I've seen. At least, the, maybe Spider-Verse. Like, Spider-Verse is like the only other movie this year, I think, that really right. thrilled me the way that Barbie did. So, yeah. That's that's how much I really admire this film. All right. Um, all right. The other half of Barbenheimer... <laughs> open this week and people uh, are double the... featuring this I think that's, that's great, so great. It, we are speaking at... of the, the Brady Bunch movies this feels like something that would have happened in 1995 very much like so these, these kind two very disparate mm -hmm. kind of weird uh, heady movies mm -hmm. are the... ginning up just like equal enthusiasm from audiences and again these both of these movies Barbie and Oppenheimer yeah Barbie is based on a toy but it is not based on a toy that studios thought could make $150 million in a weekend. Yeah. If they did, they would have done it by now. You'll notice they ran through a lot of the boy toys first. Mm -hmm. They assumed that's where the money was. That's where the audience interest was. They assumed nobody cared. Or at least not enough to make it worth mm. worth doing. Well, it's, it's just, And that's just good old-fashioned sexism. It is. Yeah. Uh, and yet... That also, in a, in a roundabout way, is, is kind of true for Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan... Most of his bigger hits have been more action-forward. Superhero movies, World War II movies, mm -hmm. uh, heist movies that take place inside the human brain, uh, thrillers that take place in time travel. He's been a very mature filmmaker, basically from the jump, but he's always had some pulp sensibility to the majority of his work. With Oppenheimer... He doesn't. This is a serious biographical picture about one of the most serious human beings of the 20th century, one of the most important human beings of the 20th century, whose contribution to the 20th century, one might argue, and I think rather effectively, was a net negative mm. in a lot of ways. Um, that is a movie... That, yeah, Barbie's making more, but that movie's still making like $70 million yeah. in opening weekend. Here, I saw this in a theater. I didn't get to go to a critic a critics screening of Oppenheimer. I, I missed right. it. I went to a theater in Westwood called the Regency Theater. Wonderful theater, the, the, beautiful. The, the Regent, yeah. Oh, sorry, the Regent, sorry. Um, a beautiful theater. If you ever get a chance to go, it's one of the last classy movie houses oh, like the, left. Actually, the Regent was renamed. I think it's just called the, the Landmark Westwood now. No, no, the Landmark Westwood is down the street. Yeah. No, it's still got the Regency on it. It's still got it. But in any case, because I bought my ticket and it said that on the thing. Did, do you see it in the, the one with the balcony? Yeah. That's the village. It's the village. No. Theater. The Fox Village. Theater. No, the village is across the street. No, the Bruin is across the street. And down the street is the Regent. 
I thought the region. <laughs> I saw it at the classy movie theater in Westwood. I'm just going to leave. A block over is the Whole Foods where the quad used to be. Down the block from Look, there is where the UCLA. National used to be. I, I know, I, all, I know I, that neighborhood, man. Okay, listen. I, listen. Uh, listen. We're going to let it go. Okay. I saw it at the... Okay, have you ever seen the music video for Fatboy Slim's... Uh, hmm. uh, uh, what's that was uh, I'd like to name you like I should oh yeah yeah, yeah. what's that song Praise You Praise You mm-hmm. if you ever heard this, if you ever seen the music video for Praise You it takes place outside a movie theater in Westwood mm-hmm. where I think they were showing Pleasantville yeah, that, and that, that's the Bruin they fought, yeah. filmed that in front of the Bruin I'm in the theater across the street from that okay. which is the theater <laughs> you see in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood behind Margot Robbie when she is buying tickets to her own movie at the Bruin mm. so are we good? Uh, no, because in never mind. Fine. Uh, but I went to see this. It was a packed house. It was so packed. You, and it was the last screening of the day, so I think that's why they were to this. It was so packed that the movie started twenty minutes late at a non-critic screening oh, because nice. people they were buying it. concessions. Yeah. They were finding their seats. They were cheering for the movie when it happened. They were actually actively. And this was mostly people in their twenties actually actively excited to see a dour biopic of Oppenheimer. I know part of this is because Christopher Nolan made it, but I think a lot of it is because Oppenheimer and Barbie didn't just open on the same weekend, didn't just both come from big auteurs. That's a big part of it. They were both treated like an event. Well, and that's, that's how you get people into a theater. Mm-hmm. You make them feel like they have to be part of a happening. I suppose so. Uh, I don't think that really lends much credence anymore, though, because every studio has done that with all of their films now. They're I trying disagree. to make everything turn into an event. I think, uh, I think, I think just a, announcing it's big is not the same as making it an event. I think release, releasing those two things on the same day was something that viewers took over. And you yeah. see like people like homemade Barbenheimer t-shirts, uh, right. that, that sort of thing. Um, here's what I really love about these two movies. One is a film... Uh, from from uh, Greta Gerwig with a sort of a girl audience in mind, young girl. That's the teen, in theory, teen girls, anyway. like thirteen year old girls That's essentially. The the and uh, like the obvious demographic, yeah. yeah. And the other is this uh, slow, non fantastical R rated biopic that runs three hours. Uh-huh. Okay, what are you doing with those? PG-13 Adventure Films Studios. Yeah. You didn't have to, did you? No. You, you're, people I hope you're learning it. a lesson if here. You, if you show people that these kinds of movies can be exciting, if you yeah. get them excited to see Barbie, if you get them excited to see Oppenheimer, if you make going to see, this is my point, you make going to see Oppenheimer not just, oh, it's going to be big and action-packed. No, 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 no. It's going to be important. Mm. Important gets people into the theater. People want to see Oppenheimer. People want to see Barbie. They want to see two films that could not be more different than Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible, which opened big, gone way down second weekend. Mm. People are excited for different kinds of movies. People are different now than they used to be. It used to be that that the whole industry would go through like a paradigm shift every 10 years or so. 
There would just be mm-hmm. new things, different things were popular at the box office. We've been kind of in the same place for about 20 years. We're overdue yeah, for people the, to the, um, want new things from movies. We, we got uh, the night... 80s blockbusters mark two for long enough we're, yeah. we're ready for like a little bit more 90s diversity if you will yeah uh yeah here we are with uh, oppenheimer a, a three-hour biography of j robert oppenheimer one of the uh, primary constructors of the atomic bomb in the late 1940s he was in charge of the project not mm. necessarily the one who was like i've got it we'll just take the atom and go spits no 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 uh th- yeah. Th- yeah that is the american government project mm. uh he constructed a, a little small town out in los alamos New Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, he called it the Trinity Project uh, when he when Oppenheimer was questions about why he chose the Trinity. In the movie, they give an explanation. Oppenheimer said, "Ah, it's just a fun word." There's yeah, no it, reason it, for him to choose Trinity. Necessarily... Um, that, that's the thing in biopics everything has a meaning sometimes yeah. life is just a thing but yeah in, in, in real life a lot of uh european expatriates that were fleeing world war ii uh, moved mm-hmm. to america they were uh, swept up by this atomic program and they were all very excited by the scientific possibilities mm-hmm. of creating an atomic bomb yeah. uh so, uh, and my favorite scenes in this movie are when Oppenheimer, who's played by Killian Murphy, gets all of the other scientists together, and they're all played by recognizable actors. Yeah, they're all... So, uh, we got yeah. Josh Hartnett is in there, and Benny Safdie is in mm. there, and... Uh, um, oh, uh, the, 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 the elf from Santa Claus. Oh, David Krumholtz. David Krumholtz, who, is, who has... David Krumholtz is an excellent actor, by he the is. way. I love him in everything he's, he's in. He's really, really good at this, and there's something really interesting that Christopher Nolan does with a lot of his cast. Not all, mm. but a lot of his cast in this. He casts actors you've seen before or are familiar with, and he gives them an opportunity to take on an entirely different physicality. I'm used to David Krumholtz being like the fun nerdy guy. Uh-huh. Here, he's playing the Michael Lerner role. Yeah. And yeah. he's great. He's We have a new Michael Lerner uh, now. They, this they, is awesome. They give him makeup and hair. I think they even yeah. padded out his suit a little bit. He looks a lot like Michael Lerner in like the makeup. A, is it Dane uh, DeHaan who's in this? He plays Dane DeHaan. He plays uh, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s like sniffling sidekick guy. Yeah, that, uh, that yeah. was Dane DeHaan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Nolan like transforms him into a new Tim Robbins. We have a new Tim Robbins now. Like, <laughs> I just think it's really interesting just how many actors get to really so, some actors come in and it's like oh okay it's Alden Ehrenreich fine we're not gonna yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna change him too much uh, or like oh Rami Malek's in this for, weird yeah. for like a minute weird but who, who, for, who does Kenneth Branagh plays it at, is he it plays like, Niels Bohr Niels Bohr yeah. in like a scene he's, he's got just, two yeah. scenes but like they're, they're big scenes but he's got two scenes but like there's so many actors in here who are given an opportunity to not just be Wow, and then that guy's in the movie. Hmm. Every once in a while, it's like, oh, that guy is in the movie. But he's also behind a lot of makeup, doing a real different bit of character. It feels like a different take on the ensemble drama, where you're not trying to brag about the ensemble. You're actually trying to get them all to do interesting acting. Yeah. And I love you, that. You hire these interesting actors, let them act. Yeah. Uh, I was really impressed with Josh Hartnett. Yeah. yeah I've never goodness. seen him play a part like this before. He's really talented. Uh, um... But my favorite scenes in the movie are when all of the uh, scientists are together and you realize that it is just like a dick-waving contest for these guys. Yeah. It's like, uh, my brain is bigger than yours and they're kind of like bickering about how these like atomic principles are supposed to be working in particle physics and mm-hmm. they talk about the quantum physics. Uh, second film I've seen this year about the quantum realm, the better film, I would say. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the fair other, enough, fair the, enough. The other one was Ant-Man, which was not a good movie. Uh, Christopher Nolan makes movies about men solving problems. Mm. And... In in very... 
to, to dip back into our Barbie conversation mm-hmm. a little bit, a very specifically male kind of way, yeah. like a male intellect kind of a way. Yeah, and, and the way that these men who have very intellectual pursuits, who have very, you know, very narrow focus, a lot mm-hmm. of them. They're very obsessive, a lot of the characters in Christopher Nolan movies. He, he gravitates towards that. Read into it what you will, I suppose. But, um, and it's about the way the other people in their lives struggle to make time for them and how those people are often destroyed by those pursuits. Mm-hmm. Or how... At least, or at least jeopardized, um, or potentially jeopardize the pursuits themselves. Mm. Uh, Oppenheimer is just the closest real world analog he's ever really had to that yeah. journey. Um, it's it's told in three parts that are kind of told simultaneously. We keep cutting back and forth. Very Christopher Nolan. Um, there's the simple historical, straightforward drama of. Here's Oppenheimer's life. He went to college here. He met these guys. He was here. He dabbled in communism. The, yeah, yeah. the, the, this the government came to him. Pew, which is significant. And yeah. Then, and then, uh, and here's how he built the bomb. And all yeah. of that's very, very conventional. There is a segment that we keep coming back to where in the 1950s, Oppenheimer is being grilled by a private government committee and ostensibly it's just to decide if his security clearance nationally should be revoked but they're using it as a way to basically destroy him and question Mm. everything he's ever done Uh, and then on top of that there is a black and white uh, uh, sequence where Robert Downey Jr. Plays doing a, a very non-Robert Downey Jr. performance. True. It's actually really stretching this time. True, but he plays a guy who is, uh, he was part of the nuclear program, and he's being vetted by the Senate so that he could become the, the new uh, Secretary of Commerce. Mm. And all they want to do is talk about his relationship with Oppenheimer and what he did in regarding Oppenheimer, the atomic bomb, the potential development of the hydrogen bomb. Um the biggest failing of the movie for me, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I mostly like this movie, but my biggest failing of that movie for me is the Robert Downey Jr. section. Okay. I, I don't care about him. It's very focused okay. on him. Uh-huh. They introduce that character in a very, like, kind of off-the-cuff way in terms of, like, how he, meet, he meets Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and how he feels slighted by Oppenheimer. But... They do because he's not in so much the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. I think centering like a third of it around a connection which seems rather insignificant to Oppenheimer, even if it is to this guy, uh, made his part of the movie feel. I understand it's a structural thing; it gives a conclusion because it takes place last chronologically. Hmm. Made that sequence feel kind of arbitrary for me more All often right. than it um, should. It didn't feel arbitrary to me, and, okay. I, and I'll say why. Because I, I, I really love this movie. I okay. really love Oppenheimer. I, I think it's one of Nolan's better movies. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. This one, and this might be a strange one to say, but I, I do like The Dark Knight Rises, the yep. third of his Batman movies. He's uh, got all the big ideas. Well, you were talking about how he makes movies about men who have these very kind of steel trap minds, and they try to solve problems, and uh. they get sort of they fall down these. Uh, rabbit holes of of obsession and they end up losing themselves or they lose people near them. Yeah. The Dark Knight Rises is the only time he gets out. It's like the only optimistic film. It's like the most optimistic film that Christopher Nolan has made. It's weirdly out of character for him. Compared to the end of the fantasy Batman movie. Compared to the end Um, of the Dark Knight Rises to the incredibly bleak ending of The Prestige. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, or, that's a guy who solved this problem, but or, literally or, destroyed or, himself in the process. Or worse yet, Memento. Remember yeah. how that movie ends. It's just sort of, I'm yeah. going to make this cycle of violence continue. Yeah. Um, uh, this one is, I think, is bleakest yet. This is, like, on the other, mm. uh, the opposite spectrum. Okay. Because, um... This is a, yeah, the actual, like, straightforward biographical bits are the least interesting parts for me. Because mm-hmm. that's really straightforward. And here's how we met. It's just going through the chronology. We have chronology. to establish that Oppenheimer um, understands how storms work in the mm-hmm. desert. I actually didn't need you to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I You know, it's fascinating stuff. It's an interesting mm-hmm. piece of, of history. And I loved all the period detail. And I loved yeah. all the performances. Killian Murphy's really great. And, There's a know, lot of good performances in this movie, yeah. I, I love Matt Damon. And actually, just like Matt Damon in general. Matt but, Damon's really good in this. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he plays the, the head of the AEC. Um, uh, the military head, rather. Yeah. That, that's right. Uh, yeah. The Atomic Energy Commission. Um, yeah. And then, uh, about halfway through the movie, we get the first bomb test. It's actually a little film. bit more than that. It's, it feels yeah, like halfway, but it's actually closer to two-thirds. Uh, and after that, that's when the movie really picks up. Interesting. Uh, because we start to see that when they finally see the bomb explode, and they realize, wait, oh, wait a minute. We just created a force that can destroy our world we can literally kill everybody and they talk about this because uh, they were developing this because they thought the nazis were going to develop it yeah and they needed to beat the yeah, nazis was, were so evil that this would felt like a necessity and it was it was seen at the time when they were building on this that yeah. as a like a scientific experiment mm-hmm. and b political leverage mm-hmm. it was pushed way out of their minds mm-hmm. that what they were making was a a death machine Mm-hmm. that it was going to be something that was going to be used to kill millions. Oppenheimer keeps saying and, uh, over and over again, he thinks that the existence of this bomb will prevent any future war. Yeah, just having it, yeah. not using it, just having it. And when people express to him in the movie mm. uh, that bombs kill everybody, not just our enemies, mm. he, it, and you know what? It's a, it's a, it's an argument. Mm. It's, I'm not saying it's a good argument, but it's an argument. He says... I don't know if America can be trusted with nuclear weapons. Mm. I know for damn sure the Nazis can't. Yeah, so, and that's a, that's when we have to go. Okay, well, that's well, an argument. That's something I have when, to think about. When he sees the bomb explode, yeah. and, I, and I love this like this montage yeah. where everybody sort of witnesses the bomb explode. Yeah, uh, Nolan did something really interesting where we see the bomb before we hear the explosion because the right. shockwave hasn't hit the audience yet. It's like. And then we hear this really loud noise. Yeah. See it in a big theater because those those sounds will bl- knock you yeah. out of your seat. IMAX 70 um, millimeter if you can. 70 millimeter is okay too. There are 25 theaters in North America I know. that show it in 70 millimeter. I'm just saying, if you're near uh, them, go to that. Hmm. If you can't and you can find one that's showing it in 70 millimeter, that's great too. Otherwise, just do the best you can. Because yeah. some people make but, a uh, big deal about you have to see it a certain hmm. way. If you can I, uh, only see it one way, see it. See it in, yeah, see it yeah. in 70 millimeter if you can. Um, my favorite scene in the movie happens right after that. Uh, he gives a speech where uh, everybody is cheering, but it's completely silent. Yeah. And Oppenheimer is there realizing the moral depths that he has fallen to mm-hmm. in creating this inarguably immoral object. Right. And he yells these patriotic things. Well, we got the Germans and everybody yells and you can, and his heart just falls out of his body. Right. Um, the United States not only advocated the making of this thing, but then they used it. Twice. Twice. They dropped it on two cities in Japan. They were finishing up the bomb project as Germany was losing. The Nazi oh. party had collapsed. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and the- so they said, okay, well, now there's no reason to use it. And mm. somebody in the back says, wait, we can still drop it on Japan. Mm. And they even and, say in Japan, like, uh, well, aren't we winning that one? And they're saying, like, well, yeah, but, like, we'll save we'll save American lives mm. if we do this instead. They, they keep on and making it easy. Well, he, historians now argue that Japan was probably within days of dropping out of the war mm. anyway. And, uh, so it was well, all but, unnecessary. But all, all of the generals say what a lot of the historians say. Well, it's, you know, America needs to assert its strength. We built this thing. We need yeah. to prove ourselves as some kind of power. No. You don't need to do any of no. that because this is the greatest moral failing in human history. Yeah. Uh, th- this, if you look at sort of like the history of uh, like philosophy and technology and politics, all of those things were betrayed by World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, philosophy was supposed to bring us to this morally enlightened place, but then uh, this people uh, fought back against pe- moral people fought back against the morality and this uh, campaign yeah. of destructive anti-Semitism swept the world. Uh, politics was supposed to save us. It led to the Nazi party. Technology was supposed to save us. It led to the bomb. And the second half of Oppenheimer is very much about how Oppenheimer is now devastated Mm -hmm. and destroyed by the fact that he's created such a wicked thing. And the Robert Downey Jr. story is actually about how American politics is not equipped to address the moral failings that it has introduced into the world and how any kind of attempts to place blame is not based on some sort of moral righteousness it's based on the spite of this one guy i get there's nothing in american politics to deal with moral ramifications Mm -hmm. the only thing that exists are petty personal grievances and i feel like uh christopher nolan is not just making a a history and he's not just making a story about Mm -hmm. the bomb and he's not just making a story about how the bomb was a terrifying thing he's making a story about how the systems that created the bomb Mm -hmm. were not sophisticated enough to deal with the ramifications of the thing it created and listen i see all of that and you've got an excellent point here i my my issue is based on what you said twofold Mm -hmm. Uh, one, if all of this boils down to this gigantic moral failing mm. uh, cannot be dealt with in our systems of government and it comes down to uh, spite, mm. um, then I think a better job could have been done about setting up the pettiness of one character earlier so that mm. it, it actually it's, it's felt a little like bit a more through like line. A twist at the end. Yeah, and I think that was a mistake I, because I feel mm. like it made me less emotionally connected to that whole I- event. I, I, so, think it, I think it allowed the story to climax appropriately. I, I'm not but, saying yeah. it sinks the movie entirely. I'm mm. saying it made me less interested in a big part of it. And regarding the idea of you know addressing this in that uh, chapter as this gigantic moral failing we can't deal with, I will I will grant you that when you're making a biopic, you have two options: you either make shit up or you work with what happened. Um, the actual story of Robert Oppenheimer doesn't have that big final crescendo moment. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. I like the moment that the movie specifically ends on which is not at the end of his life. It's actually earlier when he had a conversation Mm. with somebody and he says something very telling. That's a great bit. Mm. Um, Perfect note to go on. It's a great note to go on. In fact, I actually think Barbie and Oppenheimer... This one and Barbie have really wonderful final lines. Yeah, just mm, study that. That's a great way to end Mm. a movie. Um, Can't believe Barbie got away with what it did, actually. But... um, I I suspect it was just that last scene that got it its PG-13 rating. Maybe. Um, But... Uh, I think 
one of the issues with making it about the petty spite, mm. making it about oh, the, uh, Oppenheimer was being railroaded the entire time, is that, and, and people are talking about that, Oppenheimer's wife, who I think is played by Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt uh, is talking about why won't you defend yourself? And it becomes about defending Oppenheimer's morality, legacy, or at the very least his shame. Like he realized he did something wrong. Mm. Um, it becomes about defending him more than it should be when it really should be about the moral complication oh, and the fallout from it mm. no pun intended and i think by making it so much about this petty persecution it becomes more about that persecution than it does about well, the actual big narrative that we're talking about here and i think the emphasis is a little too much in one direction for the movie uh, to benefit from it. Maybe so. I, th I feel like it was handled pretty deftly. I think um, by the time we got to sort of the end of all of that persecution, you know, we realized well, why is so much energy being done to do this? Yeah. Why is this guy being railroaded? Why is it so unfair? Why do we need to place all of this blame on this guy? Well, I think it was uh, a way to sort of... It, it was like a, a, an act of attrition for the American government. I think that's what um, Christopher Nolan was kind of getting at. All of this persecution right. was this petty, pathetic way to, for the, the country as a whole to sort of mm. cleanse itself a little bit. And the way they could do it was sort of nailing in on Oppenheimer. And throughout all of this, mm -hmm. he's realizing that he's not, he doesn't really care whether he's railroaded or not because he just feels horrible. And by the end of the movie, they're saying it out loud. They actually do... It does move toward that. those conclusions pretty pretty well. And this is why I brought up my point mm. that when you make a biopic, you either make something up or you work with what really happened. Mm. Because that Oppenheimer's, like this, this big idea of Oppenheimer's uh, reputation, publicly anyway, uh, coming down to a Senate hearing over whether to let someone become the Secretary of Commerce, of all things. Not Secretary of State, Commerce. Someone you don't even you don't even think about most of the time. N name name the Secretary of Commerce. <laughs> that's how much. That's how yeah. important. It may be one or two if you can do it. The majority of you can. That's okay. They don't all have to be celebrities. But my point is this: Oppenheimer's right. narrative doesn't end. Gina Raimondo a, is the current Secretary of Commerce. I had to look bingo. it up. I didn't know it off the top of my head. Never heard the name, honestly, and I try to keep up with politics. Never even heard the name. I'm she was not, a lawyer I'm and a venture myself. capitalist who became the Secretary of Commerce. I'm indicting myself here, too. I'm, I'm just as guilty mm -hmm. of it. But my point is this. That's not... If you were writing this story and making it up, it would never end there. There's mm. no conceivable way you would come up with that as a satisfying finale. So they're stuck with it. And they're trying to make it gigantic when, frankly, very little they do can obfuscate just how kind of unsatisfying the enormity of this life ending on the Robert Downey Jr. storyline is. And I was distracted by that. Is it still good? It's really good. I, don't know, I think, um, honestly, I think the first half Maybe it could have been tightened. I didn't really need everything it showed me. Mm -hmm. um, I admire the attention to detail. I think the performances are exquisite. Sound design is, is spectacular. Um, I mostly really, really dug it. I'm not as in love with it as a lot of my fellow critics are. Okay. But I do think it's an excellently crafted film. Right. I just think there's something that keeps it 
Bar- I said before, Barbie is quite likely like one of my favorite movies of the year. Hmm. What I've been describing is why Oppenheimer is not, even um, though I do admire right. it. Um, uh, I, I really, really admire Oppenheimer. The more I think about it, the more I like it, because hmm. I think it's it's really kind of focused, and it has a really, uh, really good viewpoint. Hmm. Um, I compare this to uh, Christopher Nolan's last picture, which was called Tenet. Yeah. And and I couldn't tell you what the hell Tenet is about. What is he getting at with this mm-hmm. movie? I don't even understand the physics of it. It's this time travel story. I think he's so um, focused on it being a puzzle that he forgot to make the puzzle really mean something. Yeah, and you know, like the, the main character is called the protagonist in the credits. What is like, that supposed at, to mean? At that point, you've so um, detached yourself from yeah. any sort of emotional connection you're supposed to have with that narrative. We can't really have one. Yeah, and like there's some fun visual stuff in that some movie. Cool stuff but, in that yeah, movie. But I'm, I'm not sure what the hell you like. I, yeah. I he completely lost his mojo. With like, that oh, film. don't you get it? Those guys were friends, and I'm. Like, oh, they were? So? What is that Did supposed to they have to a meaningful... Yeah. I didn't think they had a meaningful... No, okay. he's, he's, he's really fighting himself in that one scene. So? I kind of figured like, he was. Yeah, it's like, like... that's what you do in that scene. I really wasn't that impressed by it. And, and she dove off a boat at the end, and he was full of spites. Like, okay, this is just supervillain stuff. You're not doing yeah. saying anything interesting with this movie. I really don't think he was. I think with Op... He saved it all up for Oppenheimer. I think yeah. there's a lot of bigger thoughts and bigger ideas and a lot more things he's interested in. It yeah. feels a lot more adult. Yes, and I appreciate that about Oppenheimer. Um, yeah, I, I really, really dug it. It's it's one of those movies that is a, a beautiful anti-war treatise and uh, of the type I appreciate, mm. where we're looking at the fineries of war and the technicalities of war, and finally, after all is said and done, wait a minute, this is not right. Yeah. This this is humanity's most grievous well, sin and once and and again because this movie is so focused on Oppenheimer even when it's the, other people are taking the center stage like that whole mm. Robert Downey Jr. part he's the protagonist of that part well he's not the protagonist he's the main character of that part yeah the other two thirds of the movie are about Oppenheimer and specifically Oppenheimer and the way that he is laser focused and his ideas and his values and how he is trying to convey them to other people and how he's trying to change the world and he did. And it's only after he did that he realizes, and I think the audience picks up on it way ahead of time, people warned him the entire time. Mm-hmm. The entire time people were telling him, this is a bad idea. Yeah, it. You may be able to convince us that it's necessary, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it's not a bad idea. That doesn't yeah, mean it's I, not a uh, horrible thing that we have unleashed on the world well, it, that may have changed it for the worse forever. I, I actually, and, and that was another thing I wanted to address. Um, there might be a tendency to think of something like Oppenheimer as yet another tale of sort of the great man. So yeah. This great man theory of history. You know, mm-hmm. these, these genius minds who change the world. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of an antidote to that. It's like he, he's pushing, yes, I'm a great thinker. Do what I say. Think what I think and everything will be okay. And you see these sort of hagiographic he- he- movies like um, the Steve Jobs movies. Yeah. Where it's just like endlessly praising the, the subject. Yeah. Yes, he's one, complicated and did bad things, then, but it doesn't matter because of all the stuff he made. Yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate that they they took um, took that approach for like part of it, and then undid it in the second half mm-hmm. and turned it into this sort of like tale of failing. I think they pettiness. could have done it more cleanly, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean it's a little sprawling to to yeah. be as clean as all that, but you know, in terms of the way a three hour movie is paced, I think it hits the beats in, in the right. Oh, spots. I will say this for a three hour movie, it's paced pretty damn well. Yeah, I will. It's especially for a movie with again. Mm-hmm. 
not a lot of the conventional blockbuster trappings. You know, it's yeah, not like yeah. there's an action sequence every ten minutes to keep you hooked. You know, it's mm. like no, it's the very somber but, yeah. drama. But but what I appreciate is that Barbenheimer came out. It's these two very opposite movies. Mm. They were meant to be counter programming, and they're both being gre- greeted with equal enthusiasm by the same audience, mm-hmm. and they're both excellent. Yeah. Uh, so there's my review. I like both these movies. All right, which uh, leads us to uh, the final film. Uh, because it's not really Barbenheimer, it's Barb Webenheimer. Barbenheim Web. Cobbarbenheimer. Cobbarbenheimer. There you go. There you go. Uh, Cobweb. Cobweb is a new horror movie that also opened uh, this weekend. Uh, and uh, it is a small scale horror movie. It's not like a giant epic or anything like that. But uh, I happen to think that it is exceptionally well made and very effective. And I really want to make sure that people don't... I have a feeling this movie is eventually going to show up on streaming and people are going to watch it and go, yeah, it's really quite good. Maybe yeah, they don't just, think it's the best movie of the year or nothing, but they'll it, be like, it's, this is very well made. It's scary. Buried under the, the yeah. Barbenheimer hype. And they yeah. will ask, why did we not hear about this sooner? And then they will look up the release date and go, oh, that's why. <laughs> This is the kind of movie that if this came out in September, it might have been able to build, you know, some sleeper buzz, you know, actually like, you know, but because it's under Barbenheimer, nobody's talking about it. Uh, It is directed by Samuel Bowden. It's uh, his first uh, film as a feature director. Uh, And it's written by Chris Thomas Devlin. And it is about uh, a young boy who has very overprotective parents. Uh, and they claim that like, the reason like carry level overprotective, like very parents, so. like it, it gradually dawns like a, on a, him and the audience overprotective. Yeah, and... like it grabs it gradually dawns on the audience just how bad it is because initially we don't see all the bad stuff. It starts sort of like draping over us like a wet blanket. Um, and on top of that, he started hearing things in his wall. Mm. At first, it's like a knocking sound. In the middle of the night, he tells his parents. His parents say he just had a bad dream. And and, and they keep on saying these condescending things like, oh, I love your imagination. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, and you're even imagining that. And, and, if, and they start getting annoyed by it. And then finally, Dad says, you know what? I bet it's rats. So mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you how to kill. We're going to kill rats. And it's and like, oh. We have a big bag of rat poison. It's yeah. Like, sprinkle it all around. And, uh, and he, think, he thinks that's going to solve this whole nightmare problem. And then he won't fucking talk about it ever again. And then the wall starts talking to him. Mm. And then the wall starts telling him to do things. Yeah. And, and um, there, there's a lot of time, however, spent with... Uh, he's going to school and he's bullied incessantly at school. Yeah, it's a miserable and, um, experience there. Everyone just, he, hates him. He has a very unhappy life, this kid. I, I was reminded of the Black Phone... You yeah. see the black phone where yeah, it's, it's about kids who are in piece, just, yeah. like living these completely miserable lives in these small drab towns. They're, they're getting abused at home and they're getting abused at school. This poor kid is just, nobody's on his side. Yeah, and you uh, feel except, that oppression in that very great horror movie yeah, and, atmospheric and, way. Uh, the actor, uh, his name is Woody, Woody Norman. Norman. He was uh, in Come On, Come On. Yeah, which he I didn't was see, a young actually. actor. Um, he, he's already 14. He looks a lot younger in this movie because mm-hmm. I think he's playing like a nine-year-old. And um, yeah. And yeah, he is, he's really great at just sort of communicating that terror and vulnerability of like having nowhere else to turn. Um, 
the bully storyline does sort of kind of come into play at the end, but it's actually not significant to the plot other than to just communicate that this kid is at, at his wit's end. Yeah, it's it's about and, his um, relationship with his parents. And he's drawing, and like many horror movies, and there's a lot of cliches in this movie. Yeah. Uh, in, in, and one of the cliches is he's drawing spooky pictures. Yeah. Uh, but there's spooky pictures like he's laying in bed in a dark room and somebody's saying, help me. There's like a speech bubble. Mm-hmm. And... Of course, he has a concerned teacher, and I love the teacher in this because yeah. she's actually concerned about him. She's a substitute teacher. Yeah, uh, and she's Ms. trying to Ms. like Ms. Divine is the character's name. A little, little on the nose. Played by um, Cleopatra Coleman, and uh, and she's trying to like reach out to him. She like engineers excuses to go to his house. Like, oh, he left his homework well, at and, school. And suspects that he's being abused at right. home, and does things like write a phone number on a paper she mm-hmm. hands back to him. Yeah, and and there's a good scene with the principal where he tries to tell her, you don't do that and he specifically says is there evidence of abuse mm. is there evidence of like, he runs down the list he, if any of these things are happening we, we can do something if there isn't we're not allowed it's, and it's that's not a, our job yeah. but that's still harrowing though because mm-hmm. she can tell something is massively wrong yeah and she wants to do something about it and in a perfect world she could be able to but because of the world in which we live and mm. those characters live, she can't. Yeah, and so and, the kid is that much more screwed. He's screwed by bureaucracy now. And um, and, and it's only frustrating for us, the audience, because we know what's going on at yeah. home. And um, uh, the, the parents are played by Lizzie Kaplan and... Um, uh, Anthony Starr. A- Anthony Starr. Who plays Homelander on The Boys. Yeah, who's, who's like this kind of a superhero, but he's also a villainous character. Yeah. Um, and... It doesn't take long for them to turn into the the couple from the people under the stairs, yeah. Where they just get like really wildly strange and violent after a while, and uh, they and there's a big shocking twist. And I'll go as far as this, th- yeah. where um, they say, "Okay, you've been doing scary pictures at school. You've been talking about these." noises in the walls and that's scaring people and it's scaring us halloween's coming up you're not allowed to split to participate in halloween because somebody died recent like in the neighborhood yeah that's why we don't let you out of the house so we won't let you out of the house and uh dad says okay and now you have to go to the basement and it's then that we realize he gets chained up in the basement occasionally this is not like Um, oh they're overprotective and that's fucked up but what can you do this is on another level and the movie starts spiraling into mm. some very creepy directions. Some I predicted, some I did not. All right. Uh, Dude, uh, I, I know we'll, I'll talk right. about that vaguely in a second, but before we get to the the, the third act, which I oh. think might be a little divisive, and it's something I thought maybe you wouldn't be a fan of. Mm. Um, the way this movie is photographed and edited is fucking uncanny. It's, it's yeah, it's got some beautiful cinematography. Yeah. It's got really, really good scare, good jump scares, but also good atmosphere. The, the jump scares uh, are different jump scares. They do some really clever, there's this one great bit where he's tra- doing something and his mom is in the house and he doesn't want her to know about it. And he's in a room at the end of the hall. And so he's doing something in the room and then every couple of seconds, he and the camera move over to the right to look down the hall to see if mom's there. Uh-huh. And we keep doing that and we know eventually mom's going to be there, right? Mm. And that we're waiting for that scare. And then finally he looks back over there and then the camera moves a little bit more to the right than we've ever been and she's already in the room. <laughs> and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> There's a great bit yeah, where yeah. like someone is like running towards him and then the lights go out. Yeah. And then so the, this, this really fun nightmare sequence. And you hear the running noises. The distance that has to be crossed is maybe 10 feet. You hear them running for 30 feet. Yeah. Even though they're that close. That is genuinely nightmare fuel. Yeah. That, that was, is that really good, scary. Good stuff. Like, yeah. Um, 
uh, I'll say this. I, I appreciated all of that. I appreciated mm-hmm. like the sort of the timing and the scares. Uh, yeah. The director clearly has a talent for constructing a good horror sequence and good like, sort of sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Um, good psychological yeah. uh, torment in yeah. the atmosphere um, that really makes it frightening. Uh, every single beat has, is predictable. It's been mm. done in, in movies before. This is actually running down a lot of lists of cliches. The Simpsons did this story in a treehouse of horror <laughs> like 15 there's, years there's, ago. There, I, uh, I thought of that too. I yeah, thought of that too. Uh, so it, it's, it's been done. But... That's true for a lot of horror movies. That's true for a lot of horror movies. And in fact, for a lot of horror fans, sometimes the predictability and the banality is the the charm of the genre. Um, Yeah, we want to see something uh, we're familiar with, but in a different way. I I would have appreciated something a little bit more striking or original or thoughtful. Um, But what I got was a story I know done pretty darn well. Yeah. And I'm not going to sneeze at that. I will. I would, I, argue, I would rather take that than the same predictable story done badly. Very, and that's, and th- I feel like this is a very, very good contrast with the boogeyman, which came out about a month and a half ago, which is yeah. also about children in peril from something mysterious in their mm-hmm. house. There are a few other similarities as well. And I felt like that film didn't do a good job of putting us inside the characters, uh, a tormented, yeah. scared minds. And this film excels at that. So even though they've both got kind of simple, straightforward concepts in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. uh, this one actually grabs me and puts me in the experience. And that makes me a lot more scared. And when you combine that with a director who really, really knows how to build slow, emotional, plausible horror, like kind of thing that you could actually really experience, and then layer on top of that, elements that are either extreme or possibly even supernatural then i think you got a good recipe for a movie that again maybe not the most original thing in the world but is extremely effective Mm -hmm. and i appreciate i will say this there's a moment in the movie where i was so happy because something happened and i was like oh my god i didn't think we're gonna do this i definitely didn't think we're gonna do it now this is so fucking cool i wonder what's gonna happen here and then that gets turned into a bad thing (laughs) and then that gets turned into a worse thing and then this happens and then like the last act the first two thirds are very slow and dreadful in a good Mm. way uh, and then the last act is a little it's, bit more James Wan. It's, it's, and the, I, it's the haunted house ending where there's mm. like a lot of explosions, people break in, so they yeah. get terrorized. There, there's a lot more to oh, it, yeah. like a lot more incident in the third act. But I had so much. I think they had a lot mm. of fun with it, and mm. I thought it was manages to be cathartic in terms of like here's a big release. We build up all of this suspenseful yeah. energy. We're gonna have a huge release, and then right at the end, they got me again by just saying, "Hey, after all of that." Mm. still fucking scary isn't it i'm like you know what yes actually and i appreciate it um the movie i want to compare it to uh not favorably uh is to lucky mckee's film the woman which came out in 2011 which is a Um, masterful and absolutely hellish film which i really really love i love the woman it's Um, a tough watch and 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 that has that has like a few surprises in the end but that one knows to sort of how to ratchet up the tension in a way that adds to its central themes which is actually about you know domestic abuse and and um male control over women uh all of that is part of part of the woman yeah um this one doesn't have a lot of ideas. Uh, no, which, the which theme sets, kind we, of we, we, falls we're, apart. We're talking a lot about Barbie and a lot about what's going on in Oppenheimer. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to have that long conversation about Cobweb because there's it's 
not it's thimble, not as rich. thimble deep. It's yeah, it's not, not as rich. Not yeah. rich and textured. It's more about sort of the skill of the filmmaking and the the, mm. the effectiveness of the scares, which it's fine. You know, it's the kind mm. of movie that if you're going to see it in a theater, see it on a Friday night with people who have a couple drinks in them and are like are feeling a little bit rowdy. People are going to jump and scream in the theater. Um, if you can find it in a theater, which if you can, yeah, it's not yeah. playing a lot in too many places, but. Um, that and that's a fine way to treat a movie to yeah. sort of have a little bit of a, a, a scare party. Yeah. Um, when we saw uh, uh, the last Evil Dead movie, mm, um, Evil Dead Rise, we, we saw it in a really raucous theater. There were people talking. One guy was snoring in the back. There were people making out. Uh, and mm-hmm. there were people in front of us filming TikToks. Yeah. Uh, and you, you know, liked that a lot more than I did. I found that incredibly annoying. Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of film experience you're looking for. If you want a quiet, reverent film experience, mm-hmm. don't see a horror movie on a Friday night. I don't want to... Uh, here's, here's, here's the difference between what we experienced yeah. and... and uh, mm. You called it raucous. Mm. Raucous implies that everyone's there is having a good time. Mm. I, I experienced a film with an audience that was half interested uh-huh. and distracted and distracting me. Okay. Well, I'm, that's... I'm, so... I'm, I love raucous if we're all into the movie all right. even if we don't like it we like we're just reacting to the same art mm. when people aren't interested in it and doing other things and distracting me with that mm. that i find annoying because okay. i i think we should at least all be here for the film right uh, well you know depends on where you go to a theater i realize that but mm. we're all paying for the same experience i, I suppose so so now, we, 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 to, we to, is... to say i want that experience i don't think it's unreasonable yeah, i'm i'm i think a little bit more forgiving of a distracted audience who's not interested in the movie because mm. uh, i know people go to movies for all different kinds of reasons sure. they're, they're not all there for the same reason i am and i'm going to be a little bit more tolerant i understand i'm just saying you paid um, to see a movie and so mm. did everyone else let them see the movie that's mm. all i'm saying it's the phones that really bug me if yeah. they're like filming or talking to each other or texting. I don't like that. But if they're like throwing popcorn and running around, yeah, and, like I can handle you know, that. Throwing popcorn can be part of the reaction yeah. to the film. Mm-hmm. I can work with that. I don't mind getting hit by popcorn. Hit me with soda, I'm going to be mad. I and, and if you barf on me, I'm out. But I, uh, I, uh, I when we saw, I forget if you were with me, but when I saw the the screening of Twenty Two Jump Street. There's okay. that whole big gag at the end where they run through like the next ten sequels in oh, a row. Oh, yeah, it's hilarious. And it's fucking hilarious, and it was really, really funny. And I forget what joke it was, but there was a joke that was so funny, the person behind me did a spit take all over my head. <laughs> Which you kind of can't be mad at, but I, yeah, I, I mean, you listen, could, I, didn't, but... I didn't yell or anything yeah. like that, but I did tell them I'm putting this in the review. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will not name you. I just don't even know who it was. Mm. But I was like, I'm not gonna name. I'm not gonna make a thing. But I'm like, the world must know. Yeah, <laughs> what, I, what I went through because that was because yeah. I'm I'm the hypochondriac. That was gross. Yeah. That was have have gross you ever had done. like in a in a screening? Mm. I know. You know we're we're critics. We got a critic screenings. People mm. tend to be pretty well behaved in those mm-hmm. screenings but have you ever had like a really violent reaction to a film like so good or so bad that you Me spit personally. or you threw something or you yelled out loud anything like that rock of ages you yelled at rock of ages i don't think i yelled at rock of ages but i people people said we viscerally saw you hate that movie. <laughs> like we, we people it's like i could yeah. tell down the aisle that guy hated it <laughs> So Oof, I, I yeah. remember uh, when you and I saw the movie Tusk, the oh, Kevin, the Kevin Smith movie, which which oh, which is an execrable film. It's just terrible, and uh, it's, like it's pretty good for like half an hour, and then it just it, yeah. dies. 
It's like oh. that's a that's a mad TV sketch right there. But uh, oh, there's a scene where uh, Johnny Depp, who plays a Quebecois detective, with a very and, arch, um, but like pretty. I was if you were kind, you'd say corny. If you were uh, accurate, you'd say offensive. A, accent. A terrible accent. Yeah. And then uh, Michael Parks. Is it Michael Parks? Yes, Michael Parks. Michael Parks plays uh, you know, this sort of mad scientist who's, who's, who's feigning. Uh, that he does that he's that he's not very smart in and, order and, and, to and he, and he, drop suspicion and he affects this speech impediment. So we have these two mm. characters with these like doing quote funny voices at each other, uh-huh. talking about bullshit. They're talking like, about poutine nothing. and spiders. And, and I remember in oh. that scene just saying out loud in full voice in the theater, "Oh my god, shut up!" Like <laughs> I was just so annoyed by that movie. It's, it's a fucking ugh. terrible film. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but yeah, usually when I have like that kind of reaction, it's like at a Rocky Horror, like After Hours kind of a screen yeah, where that, that kind of behavior is encouraged. Yeah, because again, um, you're reacting to the movie. We're all watching the same thing, and we're all and that can improve a movie. I've seen like bad horror movies, movies I didn't like, I didn't mm-hmm. give a good review to, but someone in the back was into it because they screamed at all the right parts. All right. <laughs> and even though the movie didn't make me scream, that person did because yeah. like Jesus, fuck, are we well, really that into it? Okay, well, there's good that. For you. There's that wonderful moment in this, yeah. and I'm, I'm bringing all this up because actually Cobweb falls into this category. Okay. Um, so it, it does all connect back to Cobweb. Uh-huh. Um, but there's that wonderful moment where uh, it's sort of like a jump scare. And if a film gets you, like, a bunch of things happen at once. You're really scared for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of laugh it off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. And then you're a little mad. Oh, you, you got me. And then you laugh again. You did get me. All right. Yeah. Like there's this whole like little I'm wave. Prepa- I'm, I know what things... movie I'm seeing. I'm prepared to yeah. be scared. And if you find a way to get me anyway, good for you. And, and all of those emotions kind of ripple out through the theater and kind of a haunted house picture. And yeah. I feel like the the better ones, they don't have to be great movies to get that reaction. And Just, I feel like Cobweb yeah. is not a great movie, but it's good enough to get those kinds of reactions. From I think an audience that might be legitimately engaged, which is which is why I think it's sad that it's kind of being buried because I think this is, would have been a good one to see with an audience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, I wasn't able to do that. I ended up uh, getting uh, this. Uh, I, I saw this on a screener, yeah. as we sometimes do, and as, as, as did I. Uh, and a lot of horror movies will play better on the big screen. I was. Th- Thoroughly into this, even in a home environment. So if this misses you and never gets into more theaters or whatever like that, and eventually finds its way on streaming, mm. just know I think you know it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it's a really good wheel. <laughs> like I think it's a really it's a decent functioning wheel. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it's a really frightening wheel. I'll say that. And I think I, I I think it's so well crafted in what it does that it doesn't matter that what it does is a little familiar. So uh, on that note. It is time to uh, review our movies on the critically acclaimed scale. The critically acclaimed scale goes from C- to C+, where the highest rating we can give a movie is a C+, by saying it is above average. Those are movies we genuinely recommend. We think they're very good movies. Uh, then the next rating we can give a movie is a C. Uh, a C is just okay, or totally mediocre. You know, it's... Does something's right, something's wrong... Maybe it's more for one audience than another. And then lastly, we can give a movie a C-. That is below average. Those are movies we don't recommend. Yeah. We think they're they're not very good movies. Uh, it's been a pretty good week. Let's see how we do. Uh, Cobweb. I'm giving this a big C+. All right. Not the biggest one of the year or anything like that, but it, I do think this is one of the more frightening movies I've seen this year. One of the more effective movies 
scary movies I've seen this year, even though it might not be a great movie overall. But I think it does what it does so incredibly well that I would tell anyone to watch it. It's a really good horror movie, and I wanted to find an audience at some point. All right. Um, I'm going to give it a C. I do recommend it. Fair enough. Um, But... I can't uh, I can't call it one of the scariest films of the year because I've seen Skinnamarink. Um, oh, it's, Skinnamarink uh, is number one, but I would give Cobweb <laughs> a comfortable number two. Uh, 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 fair, fair. There's oh. that that nightmare sequence with the running that you talked about. It was a really good really sequence. Creepy, um, yeah. uh, the the climax was a little corny for me, but uh, you know some people might dig it. You clearly did. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just a good good time at the movies. Fair enough. Uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, give a C plus. Um, it's it's. What I'm going to be thinking about a lot. It's what I'm going to be referring back to a lot. I'm I sense over the years. Um, yeah, I think it's actually kind of like adult and sophisticated, and has mm-hmm. important things to say about not just technology but you know the human condition. It's very very good. Yeah, uh, uh, I didn't love it quite as much as you did, but yeah. it is very finely crafted. Mm-hmm. And even though I find it has some structural issues that I think uh, kept it from concluding satisfactorily, completely satisfactorily for me. Um, they don't really hurt the overall production. So I'm yeah. going to give it a C plus. It's not my most enthusiastic C plus of the year, but it, the, I, the performances are strong, solid filmmaking across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate what they brush up against. I think it could have done maybe a better job talking about it, but mostly excellent filmmaking. All right. Uh, and then lastly, Barbie, uh, Barbie, I also give a C plus. I think yeah. it's, it's really excellent. I think it, it, it's also really thoughtful. I think it is also saying things about the human condition. Um, <laughs> my, like I said, my complaints are, it, it does have, um, in some cases, kind of a frustratingly, uh, retro, uh, mm. dialogue about feminism, which could be a little bit more sophisticated. And it's also a little bit fatty. It could be cut down a little bit. Um, mm. But uh, doesn't make movie, it as a movie. Yeah, yeah just it's plot wise and such. Just yeah, like there, there's yeah. it's two hours long. You can cut things here and there to make it a, a little bit, a little bit leaner and better mm. function a little bit better. But uh, those aren't major complaints by any yeah. stretch. I, it's it's aesthetically wonderful to look at. Yeah. The uh, chintziness is glorious and sort of let this fallen innocence and all of these uh, sort of sociological topics that it is trying to address. It does address and addresses with a little bit of gusto. So yeah. I, I appreciate it. We, we kind of flipped on Oppenheimer and mm-hmm. Barbie where uh, we both recommend them, mm-hmm. but uh, you recommend Oppenheimer more than Barbie, and I recommend Barbie oh, just, more than Oppenheimer. But see, well, you're, 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 you're expressing more we're seeing. You're yeah. expressing more criticisms of Barbie, I and I'm expressing so, more yeah. criticisms of Oppenheimer. Um, but yeah, I'm also giving Barbie a C plus. I think this is one of the most entertaining films uh, I've seen this year, and actually in quite a long time. Uh, I think it is beautifully realized as an interesting, unusual, creative production. Not just in terms of its imagery and its music and its performances and its jokes, but in its really impressive, especially under a studio system, uh, attempt to thoroughly engage with the ideas of what it is adapting. Mm. Not just put it on screen in the hopes of making money out of it by telling like a reasonably entertaining narrative, but to really interrogate what Barbie means, and then use that as a springboard for comedy and drama. And I think it does an incredibly admirable job of doing that entire thing. I I, I laughed. I had my mind blown a little bit. I really just look forward to this movie hmm. having just entertaining people and reminding them that movies 
even movies about toys can be this smart. They can be they can be about something. They and... can have intelligence, they can have philosophy, <clears throat> they can challenge you. And yeah, if are does the movie that would have been nicer if the movie had even more philosophical depth, <laughs> even more yeah. uh, uh, modern feminism. Sure, yeah, but I think in discuss- the fact that the movie gives us a launching pad to have those conversations ancillary to it is something that not a lot of movies give us that opportunity to do, except by saying that the movie doesn't offer that. Yeah, here we're saying Barbie offers us something, and maybe it could have offered us more. Great, let's use this as the start of something and then offer more of that. Yeah, This is a good thing overall, as near as I can tell. I've listened to some critiques, they're interesting, I don't agree with a lot of them. I love this movie. <laughs> I can tell. Um, that is critically acclaimed for this week. Uh, next week, I'll just say it right now, sometimes we have to take a week off because of timing. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a week off of critically acclaimed next week. In its place, we will release the next episode of The Iron List. Uh, which is our show, which is usually very epic. Often they're between two and three hours, if not longer. Mm. Uh, our big, you know, list episodes where our patrons help decide uh, what the topic will be, and Whitney and I uh, talk about as much as twenty, sometimes thirty movies uh, that are revolving around an interesting topic. And uh, this next time, the topic will be the best movie cameos ever, which I promise you is actually a really interesting topic. <laughs> I actually have. I, I kind of took it for granted when we put it on the list of options for our patrons to vote on, and the more I've like delved into it, I'm like, actually, no, this is going to be a really cool episode, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Whitney. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll be doing more movie reviews. But uh, yeah, there's just timing stuff, and we have to pre-record an episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, if you want to participate in those polls, if you want to get all of these new episodes ad-free, if you want to uh, have a lot of exclusive shows that we produce just for our patrons shows like all our yesterdays where we review every single episode of star trek only the best we review every single film ever nominated for best picture or international feature uh we do discord hangouts commentaries you get a lot of our uh previous libraries of patreon exclusive shows you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network and get access to all of that thank you to all of our patrons we couldn't do this without you we're incredibly grateful to you you're the best uh, and if you can't afford to be a patron, totally cool, and you want to support the show, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave us a review. That helps a lot. Like, not just a star rating, but even just one sentence. Really helps. Uh, but you can also uh, spread the word on social media. That's always nice. You can follow us on tw- on uh, Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. And I'm on the various social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, uh, at William Bibiani. Yeah, I'm, I'm at Whitney Seibold. I'm, I'm still on Twitter, not using it as much. I'm on Instagram. I'm also on Blue Sky. Uh, I've been uh, on Blue Sky fun. more. I fell into a Twitter rabbit hole again this last week. I've been on Twitter more this last week, but I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to divvy up my time mm. more evenly because too much Twitter will destroy the brain. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the way it gets clicks. Yeah, that's true. Brain destruction is good for business. And how? Um, great. There's gonna be a Twitter movie someday. Um, Anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for enjoying the show. Uh, Oh, and if you want to discuss anything we discussed on this episode, uh, feel free to email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you everybody again once again for listening. And never forget, everyone is a critic. Ah.
Ow. I'm sorry, what?